Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. Welcome to The Sale Ring. Well, we're back in the studio. Yes, yes. And uh, this is going to be... This is going to be a great episode. Uh, we have our good friend, mm-hmm. uh, professional auctioneer, um, industry recognized legal consult for the auction industry, Mr. Mike Branley yes, from Ohio. Welcome, Mike, uh, how are you today? John, Trina, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Good, good, good. It's Tuesday busy, morning, beautiful day in Kansas City. Sun's out. Yeah, sun's out for now. It's supposed to rain the rest of the week. So, yeah, we'll take it. (laughs) We will take it. I just planted grass seeds. I'm looking forward to rain, too. So, yeah, I'll take it. All of it. Excellent. Excellent. Sun's out. Guns out. No, there's no guns out in here. <laughs> the guns are all put away. <laughs> you remember when, do you remember when people used to tear the sleeves out of their shirts? People still do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I really? guess I changed neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, yes. This is. I'm accuracy. not seeing it as much anymore. So, but I don't think you should be looking for it either. Really. <laughs> <laughs> is it odd to say if you miss something like that? I, I miss seeing it on the way to work. That is a little odd to say. Yeah. Uh huh. Boy, I don't. <laughs> Driving around things that got thrown in the street overnight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. There's, Mike, a, there's a better way. Mike, how are things in Ohio? Uh, they are good. They are good. We're staying busy. Uh, we're, as maybe you saw, we're transitioning our auction house over to the kids. Uh, Laura and Mark are going to kind of take over that operation. I'm busy with the legal consulting and testifying and helping, trying to help auctioneers uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. And, um, teaching some and convention season is here. And so I'm traveling some and we thought it'd be a good time for them to kind of take over that, you know, day to day. So uh, yeah. we, uh, we like it. Well, that's uh, that succession planning, a transition, if you will, that's uh, um, it can be challenging, but it can also be very rewarding. we you know, in the franchise business that Trina and I work in every day, that is a part, a component of what we're what we're providing, what we're yeah. selling mm-hmm. um, in this company is the ability right. to build infrastructure and and uh, you know build. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, man, it is early this morning. Yeah, I haven't had near enough coffee. I know. Well, so just to try to build a structured uh, program that yeah. you can yeah. you can come in and plug in every day and, and operate versus trying to give somebody 40 years of knowledge. Well, that's right. And and your members, uh, your auctioneers, uh, 300 and some, you said, mm-hmm. um, can uh, leverage all that knowledge and education opportunities and experience, get up to speed quicker, Mm-hmm. And um, and you help them uh, make good business decisions and transition. And, you know, uh, I'm sure that's part of the conversation. So lots of auctioneers. I was over in Indiana uh, yesterday teaching CE. That's their CE year every four years. They do CE. And so I travel around Indiana given the first six hours of that. Uh, I think we have maybe 
I don't know, five, six, seven places we go through the summer. And so yesterday was the first one. And I talked to two or three other auctioneers that introduced me to their sons or daughters and said, they have taken over the company and I'm kind of, you know, helping or consulting or whatever. So it seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with a legacy, a uh, legacy operation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm I'm sure you've built something, you know, just based on your reputation, years in service and, and just knowing you personally and, and how diligent that you are in providing a good level of service. You've built something that is valuable, ho- hopefully. Um, and knowing Laura, I, you know, I say this, that she's going to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. She's going to take that, and, and it's like a classic car. You know, she's going to make sure and keep the wax on it and, and keep the appearance up and, and make sure that uh, she's still providing a good service uh, for both of the kids. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The, the, uh, the joke a little bit of the joke was that she would be there on an every other week basis. Now we kind of, after the pandemic went to every other week instead of every week. And I said to Laura, I said, so you're going to be here every other week bid calling on Wednesday. And she kind of smiled and she said, no, I won't be because I'm working all over the U S I'm traveling more than you do. So who guess who's going to bid call when I'm not in town? So I don't think I'm out of a job here. Necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, I'd hate to pay that bill. Mm-hmm. You know, I told her there will be an invoice. <laughs> be an invoice. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so you write blog articles, folks. If you haven't read, uh, it, first off, if you're interested in the auction industry, if you're an auctioneer, if you're in the real estate industry or a parallel industry, and you are not uh, reading Mike Branley's blogs, I highly encourage you to do that. We'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. But, Mike, the one that caught my attention came out yesterday uh, on, on Monday, on May 8th. Um, auctioneers are being misled, and, and usually the heading is the, the hook. You know, that's uh, because I, amongst other auctioneers, we don't like to be misled. What are you talking about? And the more that I read this, the more it started to resonate with me that this, is, this would be a great topic, a great show topic for us to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. And I I didn't want to say that they're being misled, and I don't think it's prevalent necessarily, but there's cases of new auctioneers. You know, I'm right out of auction school, for example. I want to have my first auction, so I go to Facebook and I post, what's the best platform? Mm-hmm. What platform should I use? And there are auctioneers saying to these beginning new, relatively new auctioneers, well, the best platform is uh, a white label, meaning no marketplace. There's kind of, you know, that it's not just black and white. I mean, there's some hybrid platforms, but a white label that doesn't have any bidders. And it's only $39 or $15 an auction or whatever. So it's cheap. It's easy to use. We communicate. We're nice people. We get one of those platforms because, see, if you're using a marketplace, you're not really an auctioneer. They almost say that. And see, this new auctioneer doesn't have any bidders. Nobody knows who they are. And so I think to suggest that they should use something without bidders is misguided. They should probably use a marketplace to start with because they got to, you know, we're trying to maximize dollars here, right? Not necessarily to benefit the auctioneer directly, but, but let's help the seller and have a great auction and then worry about our building our business or uh, building our own 
bitter database, if you will, you know, maybe a year from now or two years from now, you can then self-sustain, but not right out the gate. Yeah. Well, and that's a great point that leads into, let's talk about the franchise model that, that Trina and I work for. Um, we have a lot of people that we call conversions that are converting from their brokers or agents in traditional real estate. They're converting over to the auction industry. And what that looks like is first they get introduced to the concept through training classes, whatever. Um, they go to auction school and those generally are nine or 10 days. You know, you meet a, a time requirement or a license requirement in some states, pass the test, get your license. Some of the states don't require a license, but uh, some of them do. So now they're a licensed auctioneer, but their background for five years, 10, maybe 30 years has been in traditional real estate. Mm-hmm. And the, the very first auctions that we see them starting to get are not necessarily real estate auctions. They may be uh, an estate sale mm-hmm. to clean the the inventory out of grandma's house yep. or a small business liquidation. We're going to list this commercial business, but it, it was a lawnmower repair shop. We have all these tools. We've got new mowers, used mower stuff. I don't have a buying audience for that. Yeah. Right. Guess who does? Uh, you do. A yeah. marketplace. Yeah, a marketplace. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You know, companies that are out there, like um, one of them that we endorse that we've used here is High Bid. Most auctioneers are familiar with that. There's there's Proxy Bid. There's Bid Spotter. There's, mm-hmm. you know, a number of those that have built a marketplace, which means almost the same concept as eBay. I can take yep. my personal asset, and it's not mine, the seller's personal asset. I can put that online. And there are thousands, if not millions of people that are perusing that site using maybe a keyword search or they're saying, I, you know, I'm looking for lawnmowers right now. I'm looking for hand tools. I'm looking for a cash register. I'm looking and they stumble across this auction and they are competitively bidding on that. And they may be from six states away or they may be right down the road, but it's they have delivered a marketplace to your hometown. Mm-hmm. Similar to how that traditional real estate agent was using MLS. That's a marketplace. Yeah, it absolutely is. You know, we're all working together here. We're exposing property to other brokers, other companies uh, all around that region or area. Uh, why, why auctioneers, some auctioneers are telling other auctioneers not to use a marketplace when a marketplace can help your seller. It's, it's perplexing to me. Um, I, I just don't understand it. Um, and they say, well, but we're feeding the, you know, the elephant in the room or we're feeding, we're giving them all our buyer information and then they're going to compete against us or whatever. But I, I don't, I don't necessarily see that. We've had online platforms since what, 2000, 2001. Yeah. And uh, here we are, 2023, and we still, and we still don't have them taking over the auction industry. I don't think, you know, I don't see that in the short term, quite frankly, I don't see it in the long term. I'm personally not getting a lot of referrals. Most of the auctions that we find, we have either advertised to or went out and met with the individuals and signed the auction, listed the auction mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. So yeah. the concept that uh, a company that's housed, you know, in the northern part of the United States and you're an auctioneer out of, you know, Missouri or, or Kansas or Texas or somewhere, 
and you're afraid that they're going to encroach into your territory out there. Um, I, I've never been fearful of that, you know, and, and that is a lot of times it's a fear of just scarcity. Uh, yeah. People are, are just, they're, they're nervous about their, the business eroding. We saw the same thing, Mike, transition when online auctions came on the scene for traditional live outcry auctioneers. And let's mm-hmm. face it, the barrier to entry into this profession is not that high you know, to get into the auction business. It doesn't require a PhD. It doesn't require, you know, years and years of service out there. Uh, It's a test a lot of times. It's going to school for nine days and taking a test or Mm -hmm. in some states just stepping into it. Where I'm going with this is uh, the online auction platforms allowed it open the doors for a lot of practitioners to enter the auction industry that otherwise would not because they didn't really want to go out and live outcry in front of a crowd of people. That's correct. That's correct. And therefore more sellers are exposed to auctions. Uh, more people are buying at auction because there's more opportunity to buy our market. Our, our method of marketing is now, uh, more widely known and people are more exposed to it, which helps all of us yeah. in a way. Yeah. I don't think this, I mean, there could be some, some downside here, but I think the upside far outweighs it. Absolutely. Well, you've been a member of, you know, both national and state, you've been a member of, of auction associations as long as I have. And um, what I see today are the same people that were the most fearful about the business eroding and, and disappearing Um some of those were very strong companies that were in those associations today are heavily utilizing online bidding platforms. And I think what it really comes down to is people just don't like change. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I can, I can assure you that the cab industry, the taxi industry did not like uh, Uber coming on the scene, you know, and, and doing what it did to a traditional model of uh, vehicular transportation model in our country and and a lot of countries around the world. Um, But it was a concept out there that could be embraced and then figure out how to fold that new technology into your business, figure out how your business is going to evolve and pivot from there. Yeah. And, and if you, if it gives you the opportunity to, to improve or make uh, changes to still compete or whatever, does the public benefit Do sellers benefit buyers benefit? Absolutely. You know, sharpen the knife here a little bit. If that big platform is going to put you out of business, well, then maybe you need to up your game a little bit. Yeah. Well, you just led with something that's very important in this conversation, because the first question you asked is, does the public benefit? So the topic that we're talking about is bringing in more bidders Mm -hmm. and a wider platform and more marketability, marketing opportunity for that seller. As a service industry, we have to keep those sellers' needs out front. And, yep. uh, and, and I'll call it, you know, what I, I think it is. I don't think that that's happening with some of the statements about um, marketplaces versus white-label platforms. I think it's, it's fear of scarcity. It's yeah. fear that, uh, you know, my, my business is, is going to erode out from under me if I allow a bigger marketplace to come in and to, at the end of the day, do a better job for my seller. And I, I just, I have to argue that you're, you're looking at the business backwards and you're doing a disservice to that person you have a contract with. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And 
as I suggested in that uh, latest article, I think I suggested, once you're established, once you're, there's auctioneers out there that have been in business 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Well, they may have a database of, uh, I talked to one yesterday in Indiana, he's got 30 or 40,000 people in his database. Yeah. So he doesn't have to rely on the marketplace as much. Yeah. He can kind of build his own marketplace, if you will. Um, good, good. That's fine. But early on, wow, <laughs> I'm going to start with nobody. And yeah. Where did all those customers market. come from in the first well, place is, yeah, it's kind of the question there, right? Yeah. And am I going to, am I going to market it adequately otherwise? Mm-hmm. Probably not. And then uh, uh, we're going to have a train wreck here. Well, the inverse, say that again, Mike. Well, needlessly have a train wreck yeah. because we didn't market it and the platform didn't market it. So we didn't have, we didn't have the right bidders. We didn't have enough bidders and, and there was a better solution, but auctioneers are being told, no, you can't use a marketplace because you're, because that's not really being an auctioneer. I would counter, oh, it is being an auctioneer. I booked the deal. I took all the photos. I wrote all the descriptions. I uploaded it. No difference than you did, probably. Yeah. You're going through the same steps. Yeah. Whether you use a a white label platform or a marketplace, you're going through the exact same steps to get that introduced to the public online. Now, the question is, how much of the public is going to be able to see that? Who's going to find it? You know, I'd like to get your take on this. So if somebody is just um, that uh, cautious about self-preservation, they're that worried about that. And they say, well, I, you know, I have these buyers that have uh, locally, they followed me for years. These are my people. What about simulcasting? What about streaming this online and saying, why don't you still bring a marketplace to the auction and have a live event? Yeah. And these folks that you market to out of your own database, whether you're using, you know, MailChimp or or Constant Contact or whatever, hit them with a postcard, you know, go out and retain them, get them in there, put their butts in seats right there in front of you. And you're, you're still, you know, you're still practicing good preservation techniques, if that's your concern in the business, but expand that to a wider audience. You know, we... We had um, their their chairs, their folding chairs this morning. My wife was asking me about the online bidding platform. She said, do you remember how to go in and actually remove somebody's bid? And I said, no, why would we do that? And she goes, well, the, this woman was highly apologetic. She, It's in Missouri. She misread it. She thought it was in Maryland, MD instead of MO. And she said, Sean, she's placed a $5 bid on these folding chairs. And I said, tell her it's not a problem at all. I said, just leave her bid in there. And, you know, if she ends up buying them and it's too expensive to ship them or whatever, I said, we'll just put $5 in the deal. We'll, we'll take it. It's, it's not going to be an issue over yeah. $5. Now, if Trina, that was. Trina could bid $6. Yeah. And, uh, Trina could bid $6 and, and I have some folding, some folding chairs. chairs. So maybe I will be doing that. <laughs> Man, this is working out for me all the way around. <laughs> Six bucks. Wow. Sweet. How many chairs are there? <laughs> Well, one chair, but two halves. It's it's it fell apart. Okay, well, well, she can keep it. You get both. You get both halves. Three dollars a half. <laughs> Three dollars a half. <laughs> but but you see what I'm I'm saying is, uh, why not expand that to somebody from Maryland? 
is looking at folding chairs in, uh, and, and these this is not like high end collectible inventory. Yeah. Um, she's looking at those from Maryland. And she thought she was looking at an auction that's somewhere in Maryland that she'll either drive to or have them shipped to her. Yeah. But Missouri's a little farther than once she caught that, you know, she said, oh, what that validates is that is a wide audience Mm -hmm. that's participating in these events. And the seller needs that more than the auctioneer needs to be neurotic you know, about self-preservation. I know I'm being harsh in saying that, but it's very frustrating when you're in the service industry and the first thing that's on your mind is, you know, how much can I, how how can I, you know, save this deal and and bilk it and, you know, and and practice self-preservation techniques. It's like you're you're not being a, a servant to the industry. Yeah. You're being a servant to yourself. Stop that. We should benefit from our seller's benefit. Yeah, you know, the more the seller benefits, we benefit. Not we benefit in spite of our sellers uh, benefiting, or instead of our sellers benefiting. Well, and, how and, nice is it know, to be able to market product. successful auctions at the end of the day? I mean, that's that's the best marketing there is, is case studies and things like that. Like, hey, I'm proven. I'm proven in this industry. I I do a great job for my sellers. Here's what they have to say about me. Versus, yeah. oh, I saved a couple bucks on the back end. You know. Yep. Who cares about that? <laughs> and and a successful auction uh, brings on the next successful. Exactly. Auction. Exactly. The next. They see that it's not what you tell me you do; it's what you show me you do. Yep. As you got know. Yeah, so. Missouri. That's our that's our tagline here. <laughs> show me. <laughs> show me, state. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, I I think that we're absolutely in the same camp. Mm-hmm. You know, in this uh, in this blog, and and you're sometimes it's not it's not easy, you know, to shine a light on on things that people don't always want to hear. You know? <laughs> That's I, for sure. <laughs> I know, I know that you you take a few shells out there once in a while, but the reality is is um, and and it's okay not to always be right about everything. Listen, I'm you know I I have my opinions, and and sometimes my opinions yeah. may may not um, be the uh, it may not be right for everybody. Yeah, you know, and it may not even be the majority. Sometimes I, I may I may be. My opinion may be the minority in the room, but that's okay, you know, as long as you're at least trying to keep an open mind and say, what are we in this industry to do? Besides make a good living, we, it's okay to make a nice living. And, and I had a guy tell me early on in my career, my mentor, when I was getting started, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, forget about the commission. He said, go out and do a good job, charge a fair rate. He said, do what you can to help people. That's what we do in the auction business. And he said, I will promise you something. 20 years down the road, he said, you're going to look up one day and realize if you do that, the commissions will follow. Mm-hmm. He said, you'll make a nice living in this business just by going out and trying to help other people using your craft. You know, you'll be compensated for that. Couldn't say any better. Um, don't chase the check. Chase good service. Try to provide good service. The checks will come. And, you know, that's exactly what he's saying. And that's, and that you just can't, I, I said it a different way, but I couldn't say any better than how he said it, you know, provide good service and you'll be in business and you'll profit and you'll look back and realize that. One of the things that I, uh, I saw at the bottom of this article, 
you had mentioned the buyer's premium in here, and I know that that uh, it, it amazes me this late in the game that still remains controversial in our industry of how to charge. But here's what I'd like to do: we're gonna we're gonna slip away. We're gonna hear from the sponsors, and when we come back, Mike, uh, we're gonna talk about the easy topic of buyer's premiums. We'll be back Sounds in just good. a few minutes. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. And we're back in the studio with Mike Brandley, and we're talking about... uh, White label versus marketplaces on online bidding platforms. And Mike, while we were on the commercial break, we were kind of joking a little bit about a few things. But we wrapped up that first segment, and at the bottom of the blog article, I I noticed it mentioned buyer's premiums. Um, Just a few days ago, you had written a nether a nether. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> weird. We're in the underworld but, now. Yeah. <laughs> you had written another blog, um, and and you've touched on this several times about buyers' premiums. Yeah, can help the sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I don't see. I I think it's it's about preference. And it's about structure of your business. I I don't think it's a hard sell that buyers' premiums will hurt an auction or the outcome of an auction or that they can help the outcome of an auction. I, I think it's more, in my opinion, and I'd love to have you weigh in on this, is is what what is your structure? Yeah. And what is the conversation and the agreement that you've had with that seller? And where do you set the expectation? And it's about diffusing costs, you know, mm-hmm. because the business is not the same it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The, the industry's changed. So let's yeah. talk about well, there that. Are, there are costs. Uh, there's commission. There's expenses, there's marketing and staffing and maybe cleanup or prep or uh, what have you, all kinds of other 
fees and to cover as an auctioneer, somebody's got to pay them. Are you yeah. going to stay in business? So either the seller pays them or with a buyer's premium, the buyer helps pay them. Or, or in some cases, the buyer pays most of it or all of it. Um, there's nothing wrong with this. We've had buyer's premiums in the United States since 1977 when Christie's and Sotheby's introduced it here. They already were using it in, in uh, Europe. They brought it here. 1977. Yeah. And we still have auctioneers today saying it's unethical. It's not the thing to do. You shouldn't charge a buyer's premium. That should be legal. Uh, it's horrible. You guys should charge it. You know, you shouldn't charge it. Really? I mean, people understand it. People get it. People pay it. Um, I think largely auctioneers that charge it don't have any pushback or anything. Uh, bidders understand it. They, they've seen it on the internet since 2000, 2001. Yeah. I bring it pretty routine on online. So I don't understand the pushback and I don't understand the pushback here in 2023 when we've been doing it all this time. Well, there's several things we could talk, we, we should talk about on that. And, and one, first and foremost, and you're going to be a big, um, a, a big believer in this, is transparency. So, yes, I think a buyer's premium and, and the practice of trying to charge a buyer's premium would be unethical if you did not advertise it. You didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah, you let them go through the entire the process. Yeah, and you yeah. said, oh, by the way, there's a 15% buyer's premium at the end of the set. What? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you, you have to disclose that, right? So it's about setting expectations. And a lot of times I've heard people that are very smooth in pitching that where there may be concern introducing it into a, an, an area or an audience that are not accustomed to it and said, folks, it's, it's right there. Bid as much as you want to bid, knowing that there is 5% or 10 or 15 or whatever percent is going to be layered onto the back end as a buyer's premium. Yeah. That puts the bidder in full control of how much they want to pay for that item. It's it's no different than a tax uh, in a store where it just says, "Oh, by the way, when you get to cash registers, eight point seven five percent sales tax on this." So right, that's right. And you don't have to go in that store. You don't have to buy anything. Yeah, you don't have to put your hand up. Um, there's three different suckers over there. One's a dollar, one's $3, one's $5. If you only have a $5 bill, don't buy the $5 sucker with an 8.75% sales tax, buy the $3 one. It's, it's, it's that simple, isn't it? It should be. Yeah. And, and Sean, you bring up a good, a, the key issue here is disclosure, disclosure to the bidders. So they know how to uh, bid and how to react. And secondly, disclosure to your seller in the contract, and especially in the contract, who gets the buyer's premium. Yeah. Because see, some auctioneers, kind of a side issue here, but some auctioneers are saying, I, I have a right to collect the buyer's premium. I have a right to charge a buyer's premium. But they don't say in the contract they have a right to retain or keep the buyer's premium. And as Steve Prophet is famous for saying... If your contract doesn't say you have a right to retain it or keep it, then you can't. It goes to the seller. Yep. Well, I think that's very fair in setting expectations at the contract, at the listing table with that seller. I'll throw another wrinkle in that. Here's where it gets a little more complex because it can get glossed over. We take contracts for granted because we are 
introducing those on a daily or weekly basis to clients, to sellers, and we have perused those and and they've been modified and, and adjusted for so many years. We're very comfortable with them. That person across the table from you may have never seen an auction listing contract in their life. Yeah. Right. So here's a scenario. Um, and, and just for simple math, let's say uh, 5% buyer's premium is, uh, is being charged and it's expressly it's it states in there specifically that the buyer's premium shall be paid to the auctioneer so you're making you're you're being very transparent of that five percent seller's commission or whatever the percentage is will be charged on the total contract price so you have to explain to them that now the the contract price is the high bid plus that buyer's premium (laughs) Those two added together is the total contract price. So $100,000, 5% would be $105,000. The seller's commission would be a percentage of the $105,000, not of the high bid, but of the total contract price. And I've seen that more than once where sellers finally got savvy at the end and said, well, hold on, I've, I actually ended up paying you know, yeah, yeah, six percent, or I paid eleven percent, or I, I, I paid, you know, a, a three quarters of a percent more than I was, I thought I was going to have to pay. So it's Absolutely. about trans, it's about yeah. transparency. It is, and and we even give, and many auctioneers, and you probably do too, give them an example. You just cited an example. Here it is: hundred thousand dollars plus five percent, hundred and five. I'm charging you five percent, so that five percent is going to be on the hundred and five, not the hundred. Of course, you can do it either way. But as long as the, the, as we say in the real estate field, the auction field, far too, uh, far more in the real estate field than we, uh, than we have to, and far less than we do in the auction field, you can do a lots of things. If your client has knowledge of what you're doing and consents to it, they understand it and they say, that's fine. Then go turn it on. Let's go forward. Too often the client doesn't understand it. Or the client, quite frankly, doesn't even consent to it. Mike, this is going to go back to being in the service industry. And it's about it's about trying to just provide something to build a, a reputation and to build, you know, a, a brand and to build mm-hmm. that personal relationship on. So that scenario I gave you actually happened to me less than two or three years ago. A uh, lady was... Um, she lived down in the southeast part of the U.S., but had inherited a farm here. She works in the banking industry, but this wasn't a bank property. This was her own personal farm that uh, her dad had passed away. She inherited it. Three or four or five years went by. She said, you know, I'd like to sell the farm. We got all the way down to the closing table, and she had uh, a question. I, I'd like to say because it it's very well spelled out in the listing contract, but she still just you know, in, in her um, professional mind, she kind of glossed over it, you know, and I, I thought it resonated with her. I thought she understood it, but it did not. So we get down, I get a call from her, and she said, you know, I got a, a question. She said, it's a small deal. It only amounts to, I think it was like $160, or it was less than $200 difference. But she said, the commission you're charging me comes off of, I'm paying a commission on top of the buyer. You're keeping the buyer's premium, but I'm paying a little bit of the commission on top of the buyer's premium too. And I said, that's correct on the total contract price. And uh, we had a little conversation and she goes, well, 
your contract's right. She said, I owe it. And she said, but I, I will tell you when we, I, I didn't walk away from the listing. I didn't understand that. And I said, would you feel better about that if we just make it on the high bid price? And mm-hmm. I adjusted the commission. I gave, I gave up like $160 or whatever, you know, still made, I, I don't know what it was, you know, 18, 20,000 or whatever. I mean, a, a healthy commission. Um, it's about customer relationship. And yeah. I'm not saying that you need to go out there and reach in your pocket every time you get ready to go to the closing table. What I'm saying is if your client didn't have a full understanding of that, how important is that $160 when you're making a very healthy commission, yeah. you've had a great sale, a successful sale. It's that one little thing that will make or break a repeat customer. Yeah, she'll have a bad taste in her mouth at the end of it. Like, oh, I think he... He yeah. took me for one hundred and sixty dollars, which isn't much, but it's hundred. You know, he could have did the something different. Of the thing, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and sometimes it's just it's a gesture of goodwill. Yeah, you know, it's a it's the same reason that my mother would cook a pot of chicken and noodles when somebody passed away in Carmen, Oklahoma, and said, "Here, take this over to the neighbor's house." Yeah, it's a it's a gesture of goodwill, right? It's just listen, we're both human beings. I'm not a greedy person. If you didn't understand that, then here's what I could do: Let's make it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we have not done any repeat business with her. It's been a couple of years, two or three years, but she does own three other farms. Mm-hmm. Who's she going to think of when she's ready to sell those, do you yeah. think, since you took care of her? Um, I remember a long time ago, a guy told me, he said, you know, greed never wins. No. I no. said, greed, greed never wins. He says, um, it may feel like it won today, but he said, long-term greed never wins. Well, we say see the trees for the forest, right? Yes, sir. Um, And this is an example of that. Uh, Short term, you could have made another $160. Long term, uh, what's $160 compared to your commission, compared to future business, compared to referrals or good words that she passes on to other people, referrals, whatever, or she's got a farm to sell? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's an awfully small price for all that uh, goodwill and good behavior, and she's happy. Yeah. At the same rate, if let's say that those farms were the same caliber farms, you know, there's easily fifty to seventy five thousand dollars in commissions for three more farms out there. Yeah. That's that's simple math, right? Yeah. The big question is, would you give up one hundred and sixty thousand or excuse me, one hundred and sixty dollars today to potentially get to work for somebody for fifty or seventy five thousand? Yeah. When you're making close to twenty thousand on a deal. Yeah. I mean, how how important is that last little shot of grease? And uh, you have a you have a calculator there. I don't know. Uh, yes, <laughs> Sean does. Yeah. Let's see, seventy five thousand in commission. I need to pay one hundred and sixty dollars to get potentially maybe seventy five thousand in commission. I I don't know that we need a calculator. No, no, <laughs> no. The math is. Uh, I the, I typed it into the calculator and it gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> so, right, right. I think we're good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about so you know staying staying kind of on topic with the buyer's premium. Let's talk a little bit more in detail about what is the what is the moral debate then? If we all agree that transparency obviously should be adhered to, you you have terms and conditions. You're setting everybody up. Um, my brother, you know, God bless him. He's a, he's mm-hmm. more of a 
smart mouth than I am, if you can imagine that. <laughs> We've but, had him on the show. We all know. We all remember. I'm aware of that. <laughs> Somebody told me one day, they said 10%. 10% sounds, he goes, well, let me tell you the reason why we charge 10% buyer's premium. He said, my brother's horrible at math. 10% is very easy to cipher. It's easy <laughs> to fit. And so if you're bidding 200,000, 10% 20,000. If you're bidding 300, is 30,000. He said, the only reason we use that number is because Sean's horrible at math. <laughs> <laughs> that was his rationale. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But here's the question I have for you is what, what is the moral debate? Why, why would this ever, what is the platform to say that's a disservice to a buyer? It's incomprehensible. Auctioneers are telling me it's, it's unethical. I said, in what way? It should be illegal. I say, in what way? How? Yeah. (laughs) Explain. What are you talking about? I mean, that's crazy talk. And they can't cite any, you know, there's no doctrine or law or paper written that that some college law professor says, you know, you can't charge this because it's unethical or illegal or immoral or not the right thing to do. Or no, Nobody, apparently, they like saying it's those those things, but they can't cite any reason why. So it's just it's they, their opinion been, then at that yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. But they, but they can't back it up. And I can back it up, and so can you, by saying, look, we get pro- – for 20-some years, we sold property here in Ohio, basically, at auction, where we didn't charge the seller anything, mm-hmm. zero. We charged a 10% buyer's premium, and we brought thousands of properties, real properties, to auction that we could not have brought otherwise. And you're telling me that's unethical or illegal or immoral or not the right thing to do? That that we brought all these properties to auction, they all sold, buyers paid 10% buyer's premium, seemingly willingly, and they understood it. It was announced. It was in the terms. It was on the website. What's wrong with that? And I just can't figure it out. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, th- I think... You know what we talked about earlier on is uh, it's it's change is difficult mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and I think it's when it, if you could really open up, you know their their thoughts in that conversation, and they would be honest. They said because we just don't do it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the only argument that would make any sense, at least just some rationale, and say, well, then it's it's concerning to you, but. Let's talk about the positive merits of it. And number one is is just transparency, is the fact that you're putting this out there before they ever make a move, mm-hmm. you know, on the chessboard. They don't have to move a piece out there until they know that there is a, a charge at the end of this. So whatever you decide to bid, this is going to be added to the yep. end of it. Are you comfortable with that? Do you understand that? Now yep. let's move forward. It's not pulled out late in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, there's a... There's an argument for being unethical, obviously, if you were to do it that way. But if you're being transparent, uh, then I I just don't. I'm like you. I can't I can't find the platform. Yeah. I was just on eBay uh, last night, late before I went to bed, and I'm looking at an item there, and it's uh, the right price, but he's charging twice what the shipping should be. Mm-hmm. So I moved on to another item. It's disclosed. I don't blame him for trying to make up the price of the item in exorbitant shipping, but I didn't buy it. I bought another item for about $5 more with half the shipping, and the total was less. I made that decision. 
bidders do the same thing. It, there's, there's, it, I don't begrudge him for his marketing plan. I didn't buy from him, but I don't begrudge him. And um, I bought somewhere else, and that's my choice, and that's his choice. And by making those decisions that those two sellers on eBay did, you can either work yourself into business or you can work yourself out of business. <laughs> right. And, you, and right. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not really, um, I, and I'm not trying to, to create a joke in saying that. I mean, you have to make smart decisions and, and treat people fairly or there's a long-term effect out there. And it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to go out and test the water and say, listen, this doesn't work. I have to change what I'm doing, but acknowledge it and make that change. Don't continue down a path where you can't uh, deliver a higher level of service, you know, good quality service. You can't be transparent. You have to start having the man behind the curtain over here, you know, doing things that are, that are unethical. And, you know, because there's, there's repercussions for that. Well, there is. And, I, I wonder if these auctioneers that say it's a terrible thing to do haven't even tried it. You know, you've been on both sides of it. Yeah. I've been on both sides of it. I've done only seller commission. I've done combination buyer and seller paying commission. I've done some zero on the seller and 10 or 15% on the buyer side. I've tried them all. I've experimented. I've not, I've not noticed any material change in um, total contract price necessarily but i but as i've lowered that seller commission and moved over to charging the buyer something i've gotten more property because sellers like that and if i can get property to market bidders like that because they get to buy something they wouldn't otherwise get to buy yeah well that is uh it's it's all about creating an opportunity and then why you know why would a buyer's premium need to exist i i still am a a big believer about um, it, it, it solves a problem on the other end. Marketing has, has changed and, and marketing plans and budgets. And in a lot of cases, the person you're working for in that contract needs to make a financial obligation up front Mm -hmm. to fund the marketing for some of those auctions, especially in the real estate sector. You know, they may be writing a check for 2000 or $8,000 or whatever for marketing. Um, minimizing that commission and saying, listen, we're, we're going to reduce that maybe on your side and we're, we're going to charge a buyer's premium out here. It proportionately seems it gives the, um, I don't, I don't want to call it the illusion. It, it gives the, um, because it is very transparent. It, it, it makes a fair, it it sets the stage for a, a fair, you know, engagement of buyers and sellers and said, listen, they've made a considerable, obligation up front to have this auction and mm-hmm. hitting them with, you know, uh, again, uh, um, let's say that, you know, that maybe the target was, was 10, 10% or something and saying, how about half of that? And, and we'll have a buyer's premium on the other half. Right. Right. And that's, you and, know, and again, we're talking hypotheticals there, but it, yes. Yeah. And if, and if it's online, the online better, I am doing something for you. I'm letting you set on your barker lounger in your yeah. family room mm-hmm. with an iPad and bid right there. I don't make you come to the auction. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to drive your car. You don't have to park. You don't have to buy my hot dog. You can eat your own food. Um, and I'm going to charge you 5% there or 10% or whatever. There are bidders that say that's a very fair trade. <laughs> I'm going to say an almond bid, you know, yeah. so. Well, something that, 
something that parallels this, Mike, is, and I know that there there may be, and you can speak to this more fluently than I can, but um, credit card fees, let's say three or three and a half percent credit card fees to be able to purchase online and auction companies that maybe have converted that to a convenience fee. Yeah. And just yep. said, we will, if you want to show up with cash, you're welcome to do that. If you want to put this on a card, there's a charge for that. And um, I know that that's been a, a point of controversy as far as the legalities of, you know, can we do that? I mean, is there is there anything as far as uh, what auction companies are allowed to charge in the form of a credit card fee or a convenience transaction fee? Transaction fee, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A transaction fee. But, Mike, maybe you could speak to that. I don't believe at this point there's any limitations unless there's maybe an isolated state that's regulated it. I think generally here in the U.S. you can charge – uh, in excess of the credit card charge, say I'm paying my credit card processor 3%, but I charge a 5% charge to accept the card. I'm providing a service. It's a little overhead. I got to, you know, run the card. I need the equipment. I got to, yeah. you know, wait for my money. There's chargebacks. Is it fair? I think it is. It's disclosed. Mm-hmm. And I have related to your earlier comment, Sean, um, I have people come down to pay for an absentee bid or an online bid. Maybe they, they're close by, so they come in the auction house, and they say, um, I'm going to do cash. Oh, wait a minute. You take credit cards. See, I get points. I get airline points mm-hmm. or hotel points. I'm going to use my credit card. That helps them. They consider that a fair trade. They pay extra, but they get the points. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's everywhere now. I feel like a lot of – company, my power company, for example, if I want to pay online, I have to pay that 2% credit card fee or whatever to pay online. And I just throw another $7 on my power bill or whatever that number is and (laughs) walk away for the day. I don't have to drive a check or or cash to their office though. So that's a convenience fee for me and I'm willing to pay it. You're glad to pay. I'm happy to pay it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Now, I mean, if it was, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, I might take a check to them, but seven right. bucks here or there is like, whatever, here you go. Oh, take you'll it. take a check. Yeah. yeah. I'll just pay it off. It well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Like right. when I go to pay personal property tax, that might be a little different. I might take the check yeah. to the courthouse, but for just my electric bill, I'm like, yeah, here's your seven bucks. Have at it, buddy. Well, Trina, the, and they give you the choice. Yeah, exactly. You can drive the check down to the utility and hand them a check. You can use a credit card. You can, bring them a bucket load of pennies or whatever you want to do. Yep. Here's yep. the fees associated with those choices. Trina, make yep. a choice and let us know. And, and you I, do just that. And, and I that feel goes like back. most companies do that now. They, you know, if they're not a normal storefront, like, you know, a normal at the, you go to the mall and, and they have thousands of transactions a day and they just eat that charge. But on the back end, they're really adding that back onto the product price. But um, on one-off situations, that's always, you know, you see that all the time. So I don't think that's that, that uncommon for the public to see. Very similar to our buyer's premium conversation. It's disclosed. You get to choose. It's out in the open. We give you choices. You can bid less. If you want to consider the buyer's premium, you can just keep your hand up if you don't care about the buyer's premium. And we get the highest price we can for our seller. We served our seller. We brought property to market that we maybe couldn't bring otherwise. You know, you can make the same argument about credit cards as you make about buyer's premium. By allowing people to use credit cards, 
we're bringing more property to auction because people say, wow, they can pay with a credit card. I'm going to use you. This other guy doesn't take credit cards. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, you know, buyer's premium allows more property brought to auction, more opportunities to buy. I think that's what bidders are looking for. So um, I think generally both things are very good things. Well, Mike, you gave a great analogy a while ago of eBay, you know, um, looking at the item shipping's double what it should be you looked at another item just like at much more reasonable rate that's what you go with it's all about transparency it's about uh, an offering to the public you make the decision you can do anything you want Um, you have free choice and uh, you're making a well-educated decision you know but uh, but there's nothing that's uh, that's not transparent going on. There's nothing that's not presented to you before you make that decision, and I think that's a, a key point, right? Absolutely, transparency, and then um, people understand it or yeah. should understand it. And why not? And they can make choices exactly. So just just don't hide anything. Your seller knows about it. The bidders know about it. You're all good. Yeah. You're all good. Let's have an auction. Mike, this is a, another great conversation. You know, we've talked about um, marketplaces and online auctions versus white-labeled solutions, which, um, you know, it's, it's about exposing your seller, putting your seller first and exposing their assets and their property and, and uh, whatever they have to sell to a wider audience. We've talked about buyer's premiums. Um, if anybody has any questions for you, how would they reach out? Um, and, and we'll put in the show notes, we'll encourage them to go to the blog, obviously, but, uh, tell them how they might get a hold of you. Well, they can certainly, uh, click on the blog and that's not hard to find. Um, uh, my cell, I'll give you that. And you're free to put that on there as well. If people are free to reach out, if I can answer, I will, or leave me a voicemail, uh, 614-461-9229. Mm-hmm. Happy to answer the questions or be of assistance as I, uh, as I'm able. So, uh, the blog's there, if that helps by, uh, uh, peruse that a little bit and see if you find your answer. Well, you're a valued, uh, and trusted authority in the industry and, and a valued friend here on the show. We appreciate your time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike Branley, make sure and check out Mike Branley auctioneer, uh, dot wordpress.com. We'll put that in the show notes, but just go on to Google and type in Mike Branley, B-R-A-N-D-L-Y, Auctioneer Blog. It'll pop right up and listen to that blog or uh, go in and read those blog articles. He, he does a great job of writing those. So, Mike, well, thanks, thank for, thank thanks for joining us in the studio. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll look forward to seeing you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.